Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by the two trusty individuals who I go around solving crimes with. I'm their sidekick. They're my sidekicks. We partner and we deduce things and we get elementary on this biatch. And they are Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. And By the way, that's our problem, is we're all sidekicks. Yeah, we're triple all sidekick kicks. situation that's not <laughs> yeah, helping not, us not out. Not great, no. <laughs> Every show needs a lead, and we're in search of one. So if you go on uh, iTunes or Stitcher, please suggest who should be the star of the show. Mark Maron would be Mark good. Mark Maron, yeah. So let's just get him You've on. You've got to follow him. Just your, do that. Joe Rogan, Adam Carolla, any of you guys. Um, this is the Matt Rushmore Podcast, and Richard and Michael debate the most uh, ubiquitous of any given topic, and this week's topic is the Mount Rushmore of Sherlock Holmes adaptations. Elementary, uh, why did you uh, choose this? A couple of reasons. Um, the first, I think he is a pretty interesting literary character that uh-huh. has kind of survived for a long time. He's yes. rude, he's brilliant, he's... Uh, confident, almost too smart. Sounds like you're describing Poochie from The Simpsons. <laughs> or me, he possibly. Is, he is Poochie. Um, he's a drug addict, which is kind of <laughs> yeah. strange for, you know, a kind of a Victorian mm-hmm. era character. Mm-hmm. Okay, still me. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, he kind of traverses both a Victorian landscape and yes. into uh, kind of the 20th century, which yes. is interesting for a character to kind of live in both worlds. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, um, I was kind of interested in uh, characters that are public property and oh. stories that are kind of in the public domain now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be interesting because you can kind of do whatever you want yeah. with him as a yeah. character or whatever. And I think it's going to be interesting in four or five years, five, six years, mm-hmm. when like Mickey Mouse uh, is basically Mickey Mouse passes into public domain. The lawyers are hard at work. Oh, that. yeah. I was reading a bit about the... Um, uh, the 1998 Copyright Term Extension Act, which is also known as the Mickey Mouse Protection yeah, Act, yeah. where they are, you know, currently trying to extend it out and push it out as far as possible. Yeah, and you kind of get the feeling that, at least as as Mickey Mouse goes, like it's going to be just Steamboat Willie and just the black and white version mm-hmm. of that Mickey Mouse, yeah. which will be kind of available to do. I, I and everyone's going to go Steamboat Willie, eh, pass. Yes. But I think it'll be interesting that that character has, has kind of this looming in this mm-hmm. future. But yeah. there are hundreds, thousands of other characters like Sherlock Holmes, who has been kind of open for interpretation for yeah a long time. And, yeah, you know, and as we'll see, there's been like a lot of different, uh, a lot of variety of how he is a character, or the concept of the show, or or, or the the uh, you know shows and TV and yeah. movies and other books have kind of. Run with the ball. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking, well, from what I understand, the Mickey Mouse, that has been the forefront of uh, copyright or intellectual c- property law. Mm-hmm. The Disney lawyers have been the ones who have extended it multiple times. Right. So they've been the ones who've been pushing it each time. I don't know if they would be done if not for them. I was, I am not a person who has read the Arthur Conan Doyle books. Nor am I an individual who's seen more than, say, two or three different Holmes series and films. And so in doing my little bit of uh, research 
have heard people talk about the parallel homes there. When we talk about adaptations of Sherlock Holmes, they are uh, they usually have a wellspring from from different aspects, and some is the literature, and some is the character as portrayed in popular entertainment. Sure, and it reminds me of Dracula, Count Dracula, as we know him. I that's very interesting that you bring up Dracula because yeah. I have a point to make about Dracula. Later oh, cool. On. Okay, oh, okay, cool. Well, in in that. Uh, the person who helped adapt the Sherlock Holmes stories for the stage, William Gillette, is an individual who's often credited with uh, coining things like elementary, my dear Watson, and mm-hmm. using the the hat and the, the pipe and all these things that we think of as assets pertaining to uh, the Conan Doyle literature, mm-hmm. when the reality is it's a very theatricalized version of it. And the Sherlock Holmes as the gentleman detective is somebody who embodied who's embodied in the novels, whereas this action figure, the superhero, is somebody who started on that stage, mm-hmm. just like the Dracula character was uh, helped uh, formed on stage by Bela Lugosi and in films and things like that. So, I find it interesting that a lot of times when I think of Sherlock Holmes, I think of that character that had its uh, precedent in this William Gillette version of it, essentially turning the the gentleman detective into a superhero. Mm. So uh, it'd be fun to see when we discuss our uh, adaptations, where they come from. So, yeah. Okay, so Michael Thunkett, and then Richard is going to start us off. All right, so, I, so since there are... Please choose Steamboat Willie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we can't pay for that. Oh, oh no. We'll blur it out. <laughs> we'll release this in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I do have four categories, because there are so many different flavors cool. yeah. of, of Sherlock's that we could do. Um, so my categories are origin stories. Um, my story, my second one is animated. Third one is, hey, that's not Sherlock. Mm. Then the third one is modern day Sherlock. Mm-hmm. The fourth one. So first one, we'll go with the uh, origin stories. And I'm going with the 1985 film, Young Sherlock Holmes. Very nice. Um, I would argue this is probably the about the most fun Sherlock Holmes adaptation. And please come fight me about it if you want to. Um, <laughs> Jeff, let's go fight him. Uh, let's go. Uh, no, why should I fight him when there's a stained glass knight who's going to come <laughs> out and fight you? That was some badass CGI, yeah, by the way, for I think 1985. Some of the first, some of the first stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, it, 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 it's a movie that holds up well, even mm-hmm. though some of the CGI is a little crappy. Um, directed by Barry Levinson, uh, written by Chris Columbus. Mm. Otherwise known as the guy who ruined the first couple of Harry Potter movies. Oh, okay. And also Home Alone and pretty much every other kind of mid-teen. Now you say ruin. They're the not very two. great compared to the books. Oh. I, they're the weakest of the movies, those first couple. This is a whole other podcast. Yeah, wow, okay. We'll, we'll get into we? it. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, you would... I, you would you would beg to differ? I think that they are ultimately too faithful to the book, but I think that they are delightful introductions to characters that grow out of that. Like, the, by the time you get to the third one, it's completely off the rails and uh, really fun. But I can understand. It's it's a little too kidsy. Let's just say he's the person who brought us uh, Gremlins and Goonies as a writer. Uh, watched, Definitely knows what he's doing as a writer. Yeah. Watched uh, Gremlins 2 last night. Oh, how was, was that? Oh, Great. <laughs> Talk about a guy in a Dracula costume. We're off the rails. We're, we haven't mentioned Sherlock Holmes once. Harry, no. Harry Potter is the one where Katniss has to yes. kill all the other kids? Yep. Yes, okay, right. exactly. Okay. Yeah. The first seven are weird. Okay. And, all, and all the kids are actually vampires. Oh. To bring it back full circle. Kick ass. Okay. Yeah. Young Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, young Sherlock Holmes. 
you know, I remember watching this as a kid. I think I even went to go see it in the theater. And if you haven't seen it, the basic premise is that Holmes and Watson meet at a boarding school in London or in England. And this is sort of, they get involved in their solving their first crime together. And it's an interesting story because it is, even though it's obviously non-canon, it is trying to set up how does Holmes become who he is in the stories that we know. Yeah. And at least as presented in Young Sherlock Holmes, he is not someone who is kind of cold and calculating and distant. Yeah, he's got some of the arrogance to him, but he's also very emotional. In fact, his fencing instructor kind of has to try and tell him, stop being so emotional. That's why you're getting beaten in, mm. in duels. Uh-huh. And, a, and through the course of this, the, the whole movie, that's where you start to see, okay, things happen. By the end of the movie, he's sort of got that reserve that you, yeah. you sort of anticipate Holmes to have. And it's a con- it's a high concept, and I think it's a concept that if if if, if did if, that come before Young Indiana Jones Chronicles? Who I think it did. Yeah, mm. yeah, and it might be one of the first ones I can think of where it's like, let's take a character you know really well and tell this backstory that you didn't know about mm-hmm. them, and it really does rely pretty heavily on the the viewer knowing Sherlock Holmes and kind of understanding knowing all the tropes of him, the tropes, mm. and kind of either explaining them or why they came to be like they explain why he has the hat and the pipe and everything like that or sort of playing off of them which is a thing that you see in a lot of these homes sort of adaptations right and you mentioned that i think earlier it's the idea of i mean you did michael just this idea that it's so well known at this point that a lot of these uh adaptations kind of have to bounce off and to i think it's jeff's point bounce off of what we know in popular culture about them as much as the actual mm-hmm. however many stories Arthur Conan yeah. Doyle wrote. Yeah. If if it were the Dracula thing, you would see a young um young Count Dracula finding some hair gel and he's taming his frizzy hair. <laughs> right. And slicking it back. Getting a tan. Yeah. He becomes George Hamilton. Yeah, he's oh, like wait, a... that's a difference. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's <it>. old Dracula, <laughs> not young Dracula. Yeah. Uh what I'd love to discuss at some point along the way, what makes, what are the qualities? Must Watson be present or a Watson type character? Yes, I think so. Okay. Usually, yeah. Okay. He needs, he needs like someone that is, that he ultimately kind of relies on, but he Mm -hmm. kind of insults along the way. Like he needs someone that is more helpful than he gives credit for initially. And Watson's also kind of the stand in for the audience. Yeah. He's Mm -hmm. the person that Holmes can explain his deductions to. Yeah. So when Holmes goes, Oh, well you were, you know, you love custard and and you come from Wales and Mm -hmm. here's the, the town that you're from. Holmes needs to be the person who goes, wait, how do you know all that? Yeah. That way, Watson needs to be the person who does that. Yeah, that kind of Holmes it, can kind of it slows it down for the audience a little bit. It does yeah. seem like yeah. if you were to do an Indiana Jones film, you would have uh, this globe-trotting uh, artifact-saving archaeologist uh, encountering the supernatural, and Holmes, uh, if for an adaptation to be a Holmes adaptation or to be Sherlockian, it's got to be um, he, he's using deduction and science or using fact-based. Facts to do, to deduct, sure, or observations. It's almost the opposite. Yeah, you know, he's he's debunking in, in many cases these things mm-hmm. that were otherwise presented as being supernatural, yeah, like the Hound of Baskervilles or something like that. Another component. Well, let's move on. So, um, cool. So, do you have categories, Michael? No, I just kind of I'm kind of free flowing, free ball on it, free winging it, laundry day because he's free, right. <laughs> free falling. 
Uh, my first one is the Fox television show House. Oh, lovely. From mm. 2004. Ran from 2004 to 2012, starring uh, Hugh Laurie as Dr. Gregory House. And House is obviously a stand-in for Holmes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the entire show is like a forensic you know, weekly detective show, but it involves the human body. And, uh-huh. um, the character, it isn't, it isn't like, uh, overwhelmingly, uh, Holmesian, Sherlockian, mm-hmm. but there are definitely a number of different tropes that kind of keep popping up throughout the series and the character. There are all these different aspects of Sherlock Holmes that kind of, um, arise in the, uh, Gregory house character. Mm-hmm. He is, um, addicted to painkillers like, uh, Sherlock was, um, for a medical issue that he has, he had like a he has like a dead leg basically. He mm-hmm. had like a, something called like an infarction, which is the funniest <laughs> disease, <laughs> funniest condition you can have is an infarction. Infarction, yeah, uh, which is like dead cells, like necrosis. And um, so he takes like Vicodin to tame that, but that's you know, um, he's kind of operates with a sidekick like we were talking about his um, his friend uh, Wilson instead of Watson. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is his right-hand man, the person that is, like, the only human element that he can kind of deal with. He's mm-hmm. very um, dickish. Yeah. He's an a-hole. He's uh, overconfident. He's all the characteristics of uh, Sherlock Holmes, except mm-hmm. he's, like, this American, uh, yeah. you know, doctor. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite aspects about the show is when he started winning uh, Emmy Awards. Right. Uh, Hugh Laurie was he'd be on the red carpet and... Um, He'd be interviewed and he'd speak in his English accent, his British accent, right. and uh, all the people would be like, "What? Uh, <laughs> what's going on?" Um, but the show I really enjoyed for a few years. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he kind of fell into that you know late '90s, early 2000s troubled white man sort of yeah. syndrome that yeah. maybe all shows seem to have. The uh, what was the uh, HBO show? Six Feet Under? No, with the gangster. But yes. Oh, Breaking Boardwalk Bad? Empire? Boardwalk no, Empire. B- about, uh, Breaking Bad is certainly one. Uh, the Boardwalk Mafia Empire? one. The, uh, the Sopranos. Sopranos, thank you. Uh, dumb. I deduced that. I used my assistant. Uh, <laughs> it's elementary, Michael. That's right. <laughs> but uh, it's just, uh, it's funny because like, they've done other shows, like Elementary, which is like kind of just a director. Yeah. Off. But I like that this was a more subtle show uh, that used the same characteristics that didn't necessarily make him a detective. Yeah. The components that uh, make up House, um, again, I think House is essentially a superhero. Holm, or Sherlock Holmes is a superhero. He's just uh, intellectually stronger, and he's able to... Uh, he's faster than the speeding bullet intellectually. Mm. And I'm fascinated with this character as portrayed. I don't know who, who's going to bring it. Maybe somebody will bring up this other adaptation. Oh, oh, oh fascinating thing. Uh, um, William Gillette, who popularized the character, was also American. And and uh, British audience did, did not enjoy American theatricals and performances until him. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so Holmes has often been a British person, um, or a, a Yank playing British. There's definitely something that is, you know, thematic about the way that he solves his mm-hmm. particular medical crimes or not medical crimes, but medical issues is yeah. that, you know, he's kind of constantly looking past, like he's, uh, he expects everyone 
to lie to him yeah. and expects that there's like a deeper truth and he just hasn't gotten there yet. And he has to, you know, he's just, he's just working it all out. Yeah. He's a, you know, he's a forensic doctor, mm-hmm. so to speak, but he's, and, uh, it's. And also he doesn't, he doesn't really, he, I think much like Holmes, he cares about the mystery of it and yes. how to solve it. He doesn't actually care about the patients. Yeah. That's, that's always, that's always pretty fun to see people come in and expect, uh, to be have their hand held by a doctor, and then he just kind of, kind of kicks the legs yeah. out from under them, and it's just like, well, this, you know, you've got a, you know, some crazy disease of the week. You know, it's also one of those crazy disease of the week shows. Sure, uh, it's we- Quincy basically, but with <laughs> a, with an a hole. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, Richard, what's your second? Richard, All right, Richard, who's looking a lot like Nick. Uh, what's this Parks and Rec guy? Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman, the beard. Yeah, yeah, I am. Good for podcasts, visual descriptions of things. Yeah, especially okay. doing Ron Swanson over yeah. there on podcasts. <laughs> Pretty boring. Richard, yeah. what's your second choice? <laughs> My second choice is we're going to animate it here, and it's interesting. We were talking about Disney and uh-huh. the uh, copyright laws, because this is an example of Disney actually playing fast, not fast and loose, but taking advantage of something going into the public sphere with 1986's The Great Mouse Detective. Ah, wonderful. One of my favorite Disney movies, I would say Professor Radigan in particular, mm. voiced by, of course, by Vincent Price, mm-hmm. one of the most underrated Disney villains of all time. There's, um, that was during a very strange Disney period, like that kind of early 80s, mm-hmm. uh, Fox and the Hound, mm-hmm. uh, there was something else that kind of came out. I'll have to think about. There's more. a lot of things that seem Disney, but they might not have been mm. like the great, like a uh, Fievel goes well, you know, the Don Bluth things and the sure. yeah. It, it it actually came out right after Black Cauldron. Uh, there you go. There's another strange one. Another yeah. strange adaption it's, adaptation. It's getting out. Yeah. So that's where you're there. They don't Disney. It feels like they don't exactly know what a Disney movie is at that point. Yeah. Um, this was actually originally conceived as possibly a Rescuers. Mm-hmm. Um sequel oh then they decided well let's just do it with with it create their own characters uh. instead of just rehashing those characters um and this was really i think in a lot of ways the movie that got disney animation back on track even though oh. it wasn't a huge hit it was very successful mm-hmm. and it was the first one that jeff when jeffrey katzenberg had taken over disney animation and so it was the first one that he was involved with and he, i guess he really basically put the animators under a lot of stress on purpose just to see if they could actually pull it off. Oh. Um, the guys who directed it wound up directing Little Mermaid and Aladdin. Oh. So this is really where they cut their teeth and yeah. got to... John and Ron. Ron Clements and... Uh, and uh, John uh, Musker. Musker, yeah. And as, as a movie itself, it's just... There, there's a lot of these... A lot of Sherlock Holmes adaptations where it's sort of based off of someone who's adjacent to Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. or sort of in Sherlock yeah. Holmes's like stream. John Holmes was not the the <laughs> example of that. I after some research I've realized that. There you go. Well, there were there's some there's some logical deduction taking place on that one, but I, I saw that Larry Larry Holmes, Larry Holmes. <laughs> heavyweight match. <laughs> uh Oliver and Company was another in like that that came out right around that same period where it was like a strange Disney adaptation of another source material. I mean, I mean, right. Disney does a lot of that. I mean, the little mermaid was adapted from, yeah. Uh, you know, all of them are, but it's funny when they feel like a little too, hmm, I don't know. Like you said, Don Bluthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That you know, you I've use never, that as an adjective at this point. Just, I've, <laughs> it's a little Bluthy. Yeah. I've never seen 
the great mouse detective like as an adult or I don't think as a kid, I went to go see it um, in like a test screening of it. Oh really? How strange is that? I mean, this came out in 86 and I was eight years old and uh, I think I must've gone to see it with my dad's friend who was like a movie producer and like hit and him. Uh And I remember seeing like pencil, like an unfinished movie and seeing like, this movie in like pencil tests and oh, it, would wow. kind of, it would go in and out of like finished animation and then pencil tests. And it was like, I don't know if that's what's kind of led me to like never see it to feel like yeah. I've kind of seen it. So I kind of know about mm-hmm. it, but I it's, I'm interested. I'm interested to see it again as an adult to see how it. I would recommend out. it. We watched, we showed it to the kids last year and they really liked it. There are some scenes in there that are actually just straight up scary. Oh, like for for the for the littles, mm-hmm. like there's some. It's very interesting that you could tell that they wanted to do more of an an adult mature style of animation and storytelling. Yeah, yeah. but they also knew they there's only so much they could get a, away with. So there's like some scenes where there's violence, mm-hmm. but instead of showing the violence, they show a character sort of seeing Reacting it, and, to it yeah. and you can see like the shadows the of what's yeah. happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot. Of, there's like the bat who's like the main. Uh, villain like the, the, the henchman. villain's henchman, mm-hmm. which is a kind of a frightening thing, especially when you take it and scale it down to like if you're a mouse. I mean, holy fuck! Yeah, bat, no good. <laughs> bat, bat, no good. Bat, no good. <laughs> what, I, what I also think is interesting about this pick is that it's like a double adaptation because it was based on the Basil of Baker Street book series, book series, which oh. is based on you know Sherlock yeah. Holmes. So it's like it's it's double dipped and then mm-hmm. over to over to Disney, and I, then they actually. Have Basil Rathbone in one scene? Or do they? As the voice of Sherlock Holmes, that you you hear him ta- saying something. Oh, that's clever. Then they pan down. Like I think it's the very beginning that you hear him. What they actually did is they got audio from him doing an audio book or not uh-huh. audio book. I think it was like a radio production of one of the Sherlock Holmes plays, and they actually just used that because they couldn't get him. I don't know if he was still alive or just they couldn't get him. Whatever the deal was, but they actually just used that. Mm-hmm for the dialogue Hmm. that's amazing i'm fascinated we've done episodes about holiday films you know or i think comic books i'm i'm amazed how big this world is that sherlock holmes uh sits in and how many adaptations how it can be made for young people how it can be made with mice (laughs) how the story can be told in so many different eras Mm -hmm. it always seems like there's always going to be crime there's always going to be somebody who uses solve a crime (laughs) his intellect to solve it and uh, uh, it's interesting that this, because there's this whole side plot with this orphan, and that's the case they're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. So being like a Disney story, they kind of had to, you get the sense that they felt like they needed to have uh, Basil be, have his heart warmed by the end. He winds up like taking the orphan in and adopting her after yeah. everything's said and done, which of course would never happen in an actual Sherlock Holmes no, story. No, So... You could tell there's like the Disneyfication of, mm-hmm. of what you would consider to be the traditional Sherlock Holmes yeah. plot. The kind of st- the flow. Mm-hmm. Quick aside, uh, talk about underrated Disney films. The Rescuers Down Under. It's really good. Great. <laughs> I really think good. Michael's on the Great Disney movie. IMDb right now. No, 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 I'm not. <laughs> Uh, hey, the computer wore tennis shoes. Come on, quick aside. <laughs> Real good. Was that an f- adaptation? Well, I, I just He's pretty th- smart. I just wait, as soon as I you think me- that's a Holmes. As it? soon as you mentioned like the lost child, yeah, uh, and that it could have 
possibly been a sequel to the first Rescuers, which came out just you know a handful of years before earlier. And then knowing that they did the Rescuers down under, maybe and they had know, an orphan you know, half, that they have to they, rescue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just started uh, connecting the dots. I started deducing. Oh, ah, by the way, okay. by the way, Jeff, thank you for ruining my next pick, which which is going to be Larry Holmes and <laughs> pro golfer Tom Watson <laughs> teaming up to fight crime. Katie Holmes escaping Scientology is a whole Holmes adaptation. Uh, Michael, your second. Well, I'm going to stay in the realm of cartoons. Okay. The 1959 Looney Tunes short, Deduce You Say. <laughs> Wait, what did you just say? The 1959 Deduce You Say. Looney Tunes okay. short, Deduce You Say. Deduce You Say. Uh, featuring Not the deuce. <laughs> featuring uh, Daffy Duck as Durlock Holmes uh. and uh, Porky Pig as his sidekick, um, Watkins. Uh, <laughs> Watkins. I... <laughs> uh, this is just like you said, like pure silliness. Yes. Uh, Daffy Duck, very good as a character at being arrogant mm-hmm. and thinks he's smarter than everyone else, and um, you know, just a little dickish yeah. as a duck. He's kind of he's an a hole. Yeah. Uh, the short opens with him deducing things. He's doing deductions, actually, for his taxes, trying to write off cab fare and a bunch of other silly things when someone comes to the door and um, he thinks it's like a dead body, Hmm. but it's actually a note, you know, just Uh with saying that the Shropshire Slasher has gotten out of prison. I love all these things that Daffy Duck would say in a very funny (laughs) way with S's. (laughs) Shropshire Slasher. A a character called, you know, a villain has gotten out of prison and then he has to kind of track him down. Mm. you know, it's as a Looney Tunes short, he just keeps getting one upped constantly, right. mostly by his own uh, insignificance, his own stupidity, yeah. incompetence, incompetence. Yeah. And then um, my favorite is just Porky Pig as Watkins <laughs> coming in, just very mild mannered, ends up saving the day over and over. Yeah. He picks him, picks him up. He um, kind of when the Shropshire Slasher finally does show up, he kind of talks him into surrendering. Uh, of course, Daffy insults his mom that shows up out of nowhere, uh, and it's just it's just delightful. I I love that Daffy much more than Bugs Bunny is a character that you can apply these other situ like you can put these templates on him. Mm-hmm. Like you were talking about how Sherlock Holmes is like this character we've you know you can yeah. to see it all over the place. Daffy Duck has been a cowboy. In a mm-hmm. very similar situation with kind of Porky Pig yeah. as his sidekick. <laughs> yeah. He's been like a spaceman, you mm-hmm. know, with his Duck Dodgers persona. Uh, he's done this role as like Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. But I liked that you can, with that one character, that you can just throw all these costumes yeah. on. Have basically the same character underneath, but he he, yeah. he can fill all these different roles. And yeah. I think it's that's unique to Daffy as a character than kind of any other, either Disney or kind of Warner Brothers cartoon characters Mm -hmm. oh that's yeah it's interesting i wonder why is it because we will revel in how quickly he fails at these endeavors (laughs) i think of him as like uh, jethro bodine from the beverly hillbillies being a secret agent not not or he becomes a beatnik or I i think that they all tend to be very competent and confident characters you know like Mm -hmm. buck rogers is kind of like a you know Everworldly spaceman yeah, yeah. who's the hero, and same thing with Robin Hood, who's the confident hero. And mm-hmm. Sherlock is certainly confident and arrogant and smart. And then Daffy is like kind of neat. <laughs> yeah. Right? He's not. He's none he of them. He thinks he's all of those, yeah. but he is in fact none of them. And I think I think I also wanted something that was a little bit of 
comedy. Like looking through my list and looking through all these things, everything was very serious. Like I don't know, Richard, did you have like a Basil Rathbone? Selection? No, I don't. And I, I had this whole thing written up where I was going to talk about the origins of like the first really important onstage character, but it was way too serious. Right. And then I started thinking like, oh, this doesn't connect to me in any way. My connection to Sherlock Holmes is through seven minutes of. Daffy Duck falling yeah. down and getting his beak stuck in the, yeah. in the right. thing. And, and that's actually straight from that's straight from the stories. <laughs> that's right. That was the Hounds of the Baskerville. Yes. Uh, but I don't know. Like, my connection to that character is more through the silliness of mm-hmm. what you can do with him. Yeah. Um, another a funny aside was that by the time, um, and I keep harping on the derivative Holmes that was created by, the, the, um, by Gillette, um, by the time Gillette started to make uh, adapt the Sherlock Holmes uh, stories for plays. Arthur Conan Doyle was sick of Sherlock Holmes and wanted to kill and killed him off. But so, it, no but but they wouldn't let him, right? He like I think that's part of the deal is that if I if I know this correctly, he had wanted to kill him off for a while mm-hmm. and the his publisher was like no oh, yeah. you can't kill yeah. him off. It's way too popular. Yeah. Uh, but it is funny to think of how many creative people have seen the character and Maybe they're not tired of it, but they know they have to adapt it for another audience. They have to do something to breathe life in, into it. <laughs> so we're talking about Pendulet is who we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Pendulet. That's and right. And then, then Teller was a mute. Watson. That's right. Is that what the story That's right. Is? That's right. Let's pitch this, guys. Yeah. Get Hollywood on it. I mean, we're not going to survive to see what happens when Superman becomes create public. Demo- yeah, yeah. You know, there are so many characters that are, you know, I think that's part of it. There's so many that are like corporate characters that aren't necessarily, you know, at some point they were kind of creator owned but then mm-hmm. ultimately they're owned by timely comics than dc comics yeah. or whatever but like it's interesting to see these characters that like our children's children will be like oh yeah it's just another superman whatever yeah and there's just hundreds of the mm-hmm. i mean there are already hundreds of super superman characters. dc junk comics doing a pretty good job of of, of that anyways on their own yeah, yeah that's true that's true so uh, we are at our halftime, and uh, we want to thank you for listening, and want to thank you for going to the uh, Mount Rushmore podcast pages out in social media. They exist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and joining us in the dialogue that we have with our fans. I hope you're a fan. Uh, our fans have suggested topics. Our fans have ultimately joined us on the show in conversation and debate about the Mount Rushmore of any given topic of their choosing. So go out to those uh, social media sites and make your voice heard. Also, you can do that on iTunes and Stitcher. We would love to get a rating, get a review. Uh, We would really love to hear what you think about the podcast and what episodes are your favorites. You can also help us by helping podcasting in general, by going out and supporting the other podcasters uh, who are making great content out there who might not be the Mark Marins or the Joe Rogans or the Adam Carollas and not part of a big network. So we want to do a promo for one of our favorites, and here it is. Hey, everyone. My name is Jim Hankey, and I'm the host of Vinyl Emergency, a podcast where musicians, producers, comedians, and those who dream up, press, release, or collect vinyl records discuss their relationship with the medium today as well as in their formative youth. Artwork that has stood the test of time, neighborhood record stores we remember, the first albums we ever bought, vinyl's warmth and sound, the tangible object of a vinyl record can bring forth so many intangible memories, and that's what we try to capture on the show. Guests have included Roseanne Cash, Ben Montench of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Brian Stack from Conan and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Ted Leo, Lily Hyatt, and Dave Porter of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. 
We've been known to do an episode or two in front of a live audience as well, and we also talk to everyday record collectors about what drives their passion. We even have episodes dedicated to the processes of mastering for vinyl, properly cleaning your records, the feeling of standing in line for hours on record store day, and much more. Tune into Vinyl Emergency however you get your podcasts. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Vinyl Emergency, or stop by our website, VinylEmergency.com. And we also want to give you something. That's right. You, the listeners of the Mount Rushmore podcast, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can check out what I think is probably amazing, and that's Stephen Fry reading the Sherlock Holmes books, as, of course, written by Arthur Conan Doyle. And that's unabridged and out there on Audible on Amazon. Ooh, I want to check that out. I want to check that out, yeah. Uh, with so you Audible. get a free trial, Michael. Yeah, and hear him uh, alongside of House as uh, Fry and Laurie. There you go. <laughs> doing Wooster and Jeeves. <laughs> Uh, but with Audible, that's not all. There's 180,000 other titles to choose from for your iPhone, Andrew, and ah, for your iPhone, Android, Kindle player. Get your friend Andrew just to start, <laughs> Andrew. Just to start telling you what he heard yeah. on a podcast once. MP3 player or violin. You can play it on a <laughs> screeching violin. Uh, 30-day trial, all the things I said. Download your free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash rushmore. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash rushmore for your free audiobook. We're back. Okay, I got, we should go around the table real quick. Yes. And just throw out the different, like, Holmesian tropes. Because okay. you mentioned violin. That's a good yeah. one. Violin. Pipe. Got a pipe. Drug addict of some sort. Mm. Uh, oh, tropes. Watson kind of is like a, uh, a writer, right, usually? Doctor. doctor. Yeah, and he's a doctor as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, lives at 221B Baker Street yeah, in usually, some version of that. There's usually a ha- like a housekeeper... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Who's always being put upon. Uh, Get Moriarty, some version. Of yeah, Moriarty, Moriarty you, need a, you need his nemesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of the adaptations, too, kind of make a lot of callbacks to the previous stories in some way. Mm, sure. Referencing, like, the titles of the short stories uh-huh. or whatever. Or there's a dog usually involved. <sighs> Is there a dog? A yeah. hound. Yeah. A hound. And a, oh, yeah. And they call back to those a lot in yeah. these. Mm. Anyway. Okay. Good job, guys. All right. We did it. We did it. We done did it. Uh, Richard, what's your third? All right. So this is in the category of, hey, that's not Holmes. And it's, I realized that three of my four choices were like all mid-80s. I don't know if there was, was was there like a Sherlock Holmes mania happening in the mid-80s that I've just sort of forgotten about? Yeah. When uh, Andre the Giant fought him at at Holmes Mania 3, it was a big event. Yeah. The power of deduction was running wild on you. So 1988, the uh, British comedy film Without a Clue. Oh, I loved this film. Uh, I don't know this. Oh, yeah, starring uh, Ben Kingsley as uh, Dr. John Watson. And in this version of the story, he is actually the person who is publishing the Sherlock Holmes stories in the Strand magazine, which is where Arthur Conan Doyle actually published them. Um, And he actually takes the stories from the crimes that he's going out and solving incognito. Because as a doctor, he believes it wouldn't be prudent for him to be seen as a guy going, you know, the shadow of the night solving crimes. Oh, Michael Caine's in this. Oh, Michael Caine is in this. All right. Playing wonderfully against type, I think. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, He's so basically, long story short, Watson realizes he needs to hire someone to be Sherlock Holmes. And so he gets a sort of like alcoholic, unemployed actor uh, played by Michael Caine. And as these things naturally happen, he want, 
Kane as uh, Sherlock Holmes has to eventually become Sherlock Holmes and actually help to solve mm-hmm. the case that they're on. Yeah. And it's just a fun movie. And they do, again, there's a lot of callbacks to the story. I think this is, there's a lot of examples. This, this is not the only example of, maybe this is one of the tropes, where it turns out the person you think is actually the genius was just sort of a stand-in, or he's yeah. not actually the genius, it's actually mm-hmm. the other person. Yeah. Basically, this is like Remington Steel, mm-hmm. is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Just with Holmes and Watson. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's a Romancing the Stone. <laughs> yeah, there's no one to that. Joan Wilder is, the, is Watson, yeah. Yeah, so there's, the, there, there, there's that whole kind of trope of movies, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like, well, what happens if we take that and we translate it to the Sherlock Holmes narrative? What if we make it so Sherlock Holmes actually wasn't as smart as everyone thought he was? I, I don't know if you had Sherlock Holmes' younger brother. Yeah, yeah. on there, but that's I think that's another one that I, I remember. Smarter, Gene brother. smarter brother, brother, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I would say. And that's another one where they think they kind of play with mm-hmm. that a little bit as well. But it's just fun to kind of kind of have the idea of Holmes as a literary concept mm-hmm. and have that be acknowledged in the movie, mm-hmm. yeah, and then kind of play around with it. So it's like there's never there never really was an Arthur Conan Doyle, but there was a John Watson. Mm-hmm. What if he was actually the person who was writing these stories? Mm-hmm. You know, how would that turn out? So, I would I would encourage people to go see it. I remember this is one that was on HBO a lot when I yeah. was a kid. And there's always I, I was personally intrigued by the Sherlock Holmes stories to begin with. I was someone who, as a kid, my favorite book series was the Encyclopedia Brown yeah. stories. Yeah, I was wondering if those would come up as which, by the way, in in, in hindsight, totally could have been one of the picks. Mm-hmm. Um, did you read those, Michael? No. Were you familiar with them at all? No, the name's familiar. I just okay. never read them. Yeah. I I I would read all of those, and they were basically the kid detective. Yeah, he's not quite. I mean, he's not really Holmes like, I guess, but he's very deductive and mm-hmm. he's on reason. crack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's addicted. He's addicted to to uh, plays the Oboe, uh, host of snowballs, big lead yeah. chew. Yeah. But uh, so I I I read all of those books when I was a kid. So going from that, I guess the next step up was actually. Sherlock Holmes itself. And mm-hmm. I've, I've read a couple of the stories. I don't think I've read all of them. But I'm like one of those people who's probably more familiar with the adaptations of it than the actual story mm-hmm. itself, which is just fascinating to me that that Sherlock Holmes is this enduring character, but the actual Sherlock Holmes stories themselves, nobody's read them. Yeah. Like in, in our generation, next to nobody really has. Yeah. We know it because we know whatever version of Sherlock that we know. Mm-hmm. That... Without a clue was one of my favorite moments was in the finale, I believe um, Moriarty or somebody chases them, the villain chases them, they lead him into a theater. Right. And Michael Caine is the an accomplished theater performer, but a moron. But he <laughs> has to convince Watson that now that they're in the theater, he is in his element. Right. And he has this amazing confidence that now that he's in this theater, he shall be able to triumph. And it involves swordplay and trapdoors and all these things. And you realize, oh, shit, he wasn't lying. Right. He actually knows <laughs> yeah. what to do around He knows how to... Exact the exact rope to pull to drop a sandbag on somebody because he's an actor. <laughs> it kind of turns into a little bit of a Looney Tunes cartoon yeah, at yeah. the end with that kind of chase scene. It's yeah. a little bit less. I want to see this movie. Yes, yeah, I would. I, I think it's really up your alley. Uh, music by Henry Mancini, who also did oh, really? the music for Great Mouse Detective. Oh, is that right? So he was on the uh, Sherlock Holmes and, and gravy train there for a while. Pink <laughs> Panther. He's a detective, uh, detective composer fan, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that gives me a lot of promise for the um, Holmes and Watson film, which Hugh Laurie is in, 
but Holmes and Watson are played by Will Ferrell and John C. Riley coming up uh, next this Christmas coming this Christmas. So I'm I'm less hopeful about that. I think <laughs> the Talladega no way, Nights. That's gonna be great. Yeah, Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm a little concerned about Will Ferrell. I'm not gonna lie. Will Ferrell and John C. Riley have only made great movies. Together. That's true. I guess <laughs> I guess the two of them I, I should feel pretty good about. They've got they've got chemistry. Well, I love. I love when American actors are surrounded by actual real-life Brits, <laughs> so I love to see them try to get the dialect down. You could just know that Hugh Laurie's rolling his eyes in every shot. So, uh, Michael, your third one is what? My third one is The uh, Beekeeper's Apprentice, the 1994 book by Laurie R. King. Wow, never heard of this. Uh, so. These are... she. Ultimately, wrote fourteen or fifteen books in a series about this character named Mary Russell, and the first book called *The Beekeeper's Apprentice* was about this young girl, Mary Russell, who's a teenager whose parents die, so she goes to live with her aunt in Sussex, and ends up meeting a retired Sherlock Holmes mm. and be befriending him uh. and becoming a student of his and becoming an apprentice of his and mm-hmm. becoming a partner of his mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, solving crimes and mm-hmm. whatnot. Uh, it was kind of set in the 1910s, after 1910s, 1920s, mm-hmm. maybe in the 1920s, after uh, Holmes had retired, done some service uh, for uh, uh, during World War One yeah. as a spy, and he'd kind of retired as a beekeeper. Um, kind of, it was a callback to the one of the last uh, uh, Conan Doyle. Uh, books called The Last Bow, where he kind of has retired and says, mm-hmm. I just take up beekeeping. Um, but what it does is it kind of casts a new... Uh, she kind of took the idea of Holmes and what it would have been like for someone kind of growing out of a kind of a post-Victorian world to be a woman, like a female Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And so far, a lot of this, you know, all these Holmesy stories are very male-centric. And the Victorian era was such an interesting time of this combination of kind of a stiff society that's starting to loosen up Mm -hmm. and starting to get a little bit more progressive, but has still, you know, a lot of holding everyone back and this kind of new technology that kind of has Mm -hmm. burgeoning out. And I know that the, uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes books kind of dealt with that. He always kind of dealt with the telegraph and he dealt with, uh, you know, the burgeoning electric light and mm-hmm. gas lamps and all that stuff kind of coming up. And, uh, they kind of deal with that in this book too, is like the next, what, whatever the yeah. next kind of generation of technology. And he's like this character that kind of, like we talked about at the beginning, kind of straddles these two worlds. He's mm-hmm. someone that grew up in a very strict society, but then also someone who's, um, kind of in the future a little yeah. bit, in the 20th century a little bit. Um, but the character herself is very Holmesy, and she's very confident and smart and creative and deductive, and she kind of creates as like a perfect kind of counterpart to Holmes without being like a Watson. Yeah. And uh, throughout the book series, uh, I know that in the first book, you know, she's a lot younger. She's 15 or 16, and there's like no romantic anything between the two characters, mm-hmm. which is kind of refreshing for a book. Like there's... In later subsequent series, they get married and mm-hmm. whatever. But like, so there's like just, it, it, it's a nice balance between these two characters of one, you know, that are both kind of on equal footing, mm-hmm. but then one of them has a ton of other kind of 
social difficulties because she's a woman. Uh. She has trouble getting into Oxford. She has trouble driving a car. She has to dress up like a man to do a bunch of different things where as a woman, she ordinarily mm. wouldn't want to. Yeah. That's that's interesting, like adding the caste system that still exists in a country where they actually have royalty and stuff <laughs> and uh, ex-socioeconomical caste system, but also the uh, uh, gender um, non-diversity and the uh, rights of women that were so much more limited and the, the career um, limitations are, that, that and adds such an interesting component to that. Because we also imagine, even though he's does not suffer fools, Holmes might be a little bit sensitive to that. Is he in the in the book sensitive? I, I don't, rec- I don't okay. recall. Off the okay. top of my- it's been a long time since I read that one, and I don't think I ever read any of the subsequent books, but it's been, you know, it's been years and years. Oh, okay. Cool suggestion. Um, Richard the Fourth. Fourth one is Modern Day Sherlock, and that is Sherlock. Yeah, also on my list. The TV series. Oh, okay. Love this. Love, love the series. Kind of rekindled my love of, of Sherlock Holmes when I started watching it a few years ago. Yeah. And once again, proof that the Brits do it better mm. by doing, you know, however, did they do like three, like three or four? There's three. There's usually, they, they did three a season, and they've done a total couple of like of 13 episodes. They've done yeah. like a Christmas special and a couple other things. But that's the best way to do it. So basically, mm-hmm. you get three different movies. Yeah. Every year or every season when they decide to come out with one. And of course this is known as the uh the series that 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 uh let it be known that Ben a uh, Cumberbatch was an actual thing. Yeah. Not just a silly name that you could come mm-hmm. up with. Yeah. Silly name attached to a really good Yeah, actor. he's great. And so is uh, Martin Freeman. Yeah, he's great. And um Martin Freeman has been great in everything I've ever seen him in. Yeah. Even I'll even say Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I think that's an underrated movie. Yeah. So even Love Actually, he's actually got the least annoying, uh, he's least, yeah. least annoying uh, plot, uh, line. plot line of yeah. the whole movie. He's also good as uh, Bilbo Baggins, but it's tough because the movie was just so bloated. All of those, yeah, it's not his, certainly not his yeah. fault. Yeah. And I, I, I'm interested in this adaptation because they basically made they made it pretty clear without expressly saying it that Holmes is probably on the autism spectrum mm. in this version. Mm-hmm. He is somebody who just doesn't understand how to make connections with people. Yeah. It's almost less, I mean, it, it is, there isn't the Holmes sort of arrogance to him, but it's also the fact that he doesn't, it's not that he's doing this on purpose. It's almost that he doesn't know how to make yeah. these connections. And beyond sort of the idea of how is he going to solve these crimes and how is he going to defeat Moriarty, as much as it's about that, I think it's even more so about him making connections with people in his world and not just being somebody who is insular mm-hmm. and sort of just solves his crimes all inside of his head. You know, it's about him actually having a friendship yeah. for the first time probably in his life mm. and having to make moral choices based on friendships and people that he now cares for, mm-hmm. which is something that he would never have to do before. I do love the relationship with him and Mycroft. I think that's one of the yeah, that's great the, brother We haven't really combos. talked about, and I think that's one thing that they... I think the Mycroft, the only thing I think they get wrong is the Mycroft relationship. Um, in that Mycroft as a character is supposed to be this giant fat guy who is a hundred times smarter than Sherlock. He's just too lazy. He just doesn't care. Yeah. And I think that him being this kind of... Uh, Stylish but stuffy kind of... Government word, entity. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just... Yeah, it does. It that mm-hmm. was that's the only aspect of the show that I don't like. I think I, th- I love their interpretation. I love their version of Moriarty. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I love their now what seems kind of outdated, like Watson's blog of like how he like yeah, characterized blogs. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's getting close to, I, to Creed thoughts. I know that point, when but, the, mm-hmm. the show started coming out in 2010 and that was kind of on the edge of when like no one had a live travel anymore. Yeah. Do you yeah. think he's going to have a podcast by this next? Oh season? my God. That would be hundred percent. He's going to have a podcast, but this is show. Let's is, get him on the show. The show is so good. And it kind of reaches back to something that I have talked about a few times, which is like this technology thing and something I want to talk about with Dracula. Mm-hmm. Dracula was another book that, you know, was a Victorian era book that also featured a heavy use of technology, mm-hmm. whether it was the telegraph mm-hmm. or the electric light or movies mm-hmm. or medical um, technology, yeah, like, or, like or, transfusions, or the, the, yeah. Uh, like the, the steam engine in the train, like the Dracula, um, the movie that came out in the 90s really is one of the few kind of things that have kind of captured that aspect of oh, yeah. Dracula properly like they have mm-hmm. like these interstitials and like this use of technology and that's what i like by the that's way. what i like about this victorian era dracula and like this victorian era sherlock mm-hmm. and this new sherlock mm-hmm. is that he is like up to speed on texting and maps and contacts and gps and all gps and yeah. using technology to be a file for his stuff like he I think it was done very cleverly and very stylishly. Oh, well, sure. It's there. a very stylish show. Yeah. I, I do like the idea of the memory bank or the his uh, memory palace. Yes. Where that, that basically takes you inside his head to let you understand, okay, how is he able to, to sort of have yeah. these volumes of knowledge yeah. and be able to extract whatever he needs at any one time? Mm-hmm. And has, the, he, has he heard of the cloud? <laughs> cloud computing? Yeah, yeah. He just should store it up there. And there was interesting. One of the big bads for one of the seasons also had a his uh, memory palace, except yeah. his was even more detailed and 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 I guess more refined than Holmes's was. Uh. And that was just something he couldn't. It, it's like this. Once he realizes this, it's basically you can almost see his whole world kind of get undercut from him mm. because it's like, wait a second, I'm not special. I'm not the only person who does this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh oh. One one thing that I think a good ab I think a good presentation of Sherlock Holmes is predicated on having a leading person playing that character who has a believable innate intelligence. And right. when Benedict Cumberbatch plays that character, you have this belief in this guy as an as an intellectual person who has an innate intelligence to them. And when Cumberbatch also played Doctor Strange. I felt in a way that he was much like like Holmes still. They're very they're similar. Characters. Similar. That Doctor Strange has this um uh I think they were trying to play up his uh arrogance a little bit mm-hmm. more, his mm-hmm. uh skill as a surgeon, his flashiness. He was drawn to some material things that I don't know if Holmes would be selfish. drawn to. Yeah. Selfish. Um, and then there's scenes in some of the Avengers films where uh, Doctor Strange is interfacing with Tony Stark, played by Robert Downey Jr., who has also played Holmes. Mm. And although I love Robert Downey Jr., and I think he I think of and him, Martin Freeman also and Martin Freeman, yeah, <laughs> yeah, also in there, yeah. Um, then Martin Freeman's across from Andy Serkis uh, in in Wakanda, it's all um, connected, playing Gollum. That the I just I think uh, Tony Stark. Downey plays Tony Stark in a, in a place where you believe his intelligence as Tony Stark, but I never believed him as Holmes for some reason. Less so than huh. Cumberbatch. I, it, I think that I think my the trouble that I had with that one was uh, I mean I think I was 
I, it, I didn't believe it. Yeah. Uh, I think it was also too... You know, we talked about how Sherlock is stylish in a certain way, and I thought that it was... Too stylish? Yeah, in a different way. Mm. Like, it was too, like... It's McG. It was, like, overly... Oh, was it McG? Oh, oh uh, yeah, wasn't it? Or, or was... Uh, it's, what's his... Mr. No, it's, Madonna. Yeah, the second one was McG. I think he produced it. The first one was the guy Richie. Richie, yeah. That's right. So it's all that kind of lock, stock, and two smoking barrels, like, lots of... Too clever for yeah. its own good. But it does... It does tell the story from the point of view you think of when you think of home when holmes tells watson how he deduced the identity of a stranger mm-hmm. he goes through this what is very cinematic description of the what that individual's wearing how the heel on his right foot was ground down he's got a dueling scar in his left cheek mm-hmm. <laughs> you can imagine the the snap zooms oh yeah <laughs> just like a, a guy ritchie film but it did have so much. Uh, I, I didn't mind. I didn't directorial mind, meddling. I didn't mind it. It wasn't terrible. I remember seeing it in theater and I walked out mm-hmm. like, eh, that's okay. The um, the to bring it back to Sherlock, it does revel in its cheekiness and cleverness. Mm-hmm. That show a little a little bit too much in terms of um, the constant references to uh, like the the Conan Doyle uh, stories, stories. You know, uh, a study in pink instead of a study in scarlet like they're like they're so well in the world that they know that they can pull out a little thing and if you're like a a holmes head yeah you'll you might pick it up it is weird to think that they live in a world where there are no sherlock holmes stories Hmm. yeah because it is so ingrained in just culture Mm -hmm. that if you're going to reboot it but make it you know 21st century what you're essentially saying is here's this great detective who has no idea that that there was actually the whole detective story genre yeah. started with Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes you it makes you wonder if, <laughs> uh, yeah, other like Trip, va- trips me if, up, man. Other vampire stories. Is there a Dracula in other vampire stories? There wasn't Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There was there. So there yeah, we go. Cares. All right, dudes. So uh, before we wrap, before we talk about um, uh, who gets what points and what points are given and um, who Jeff likes more, I want to pitch. My Sherlock Holmes adaptation. It's late. This isn't quite the Bor- Borglum bag. This no, is... it's not the Borglum bag. <laughs> it's just out of Jeff's It's just, uh, um, okay. just the, this is, you're going to be eye rolling for the next few minutes. Okay. It's Southern California. It's the late 80s. Um, it's some suburban family. It's a kid, teenager kid who's kind of something like Keanu Reeves in River's Edge meets Keanu Reeves in Bill and Ted. So. I like it. Um, you got me. The show is called No Shit Sherlock. <laughs> He's just a smart ass fucking asshole kid who skateboards <laughs> around solving like local crimes, like who stole the money from the Pac Man machine at the pizza parlor or whatever. I like it. But like Sherlock Holmes, the uh, the smartest kid. In high school is the dumbest kid in his family. Like he's also mm. when he gets home, he's the fucking mental midget of this house because <laughs> everybody's like a college professor and brilliant and stuff like that. No uh, shit, Sherlock. You know what? Green lit. Okay, green lit. Cool. Sweet. I can see the green light from here. Oh, glowing yeah. <laughs> bright. Oh, that's just on his phone. Oh, I thought it was like from um, the movie studio. Okay, so uh, this was a certain uh, certainly a fun topic, and here are the things that I kind of um, thought were cool. Uh, without a clue, a lot of nostalgia for me for that film, so that gets a point. Um, you guys both get a point for Sherlock. And um, I have never heard of The Beekeeper's Apprentice, and so now I want to kind of go check that out. 
and the Looney Tunes deduce you say. So those are the things that get the points. And uh, um, just throw in some daffy duck, yeah. whatever you need to. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty much that's unfair. That's kind yeah. of a automatic point. And Christopher guessed at the end of Guffman doing his Sherlock Holmes impersonation. <laughs> The plot is thickening, uh, Watson, as, it's, as it would seem. All right, so this has been the Mount Rushmore Podcast. I, as always, am Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael.